0: Hello everyone, this is Pastor J. Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. So this is the last message in our series, God's Masterpiece. And the key verse in our series has been this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says for we are God's masterpiece he has created us a new in Christ speaking of new birth created us a new in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he planned God planned for us long ago God created us for a purpose and that purpose can only be fulfilled in Christ until you come to Christ that purpose cannot be fulfilled that's the first step and the prophet Jeremiah gives us a powerful image of this truth it's a a wonderful visual. It just goes right along with this. And it's Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to to make. And all of us are like this clay. We've all been marred by sin. We've all have been marred by sin, and as a result of that, we are disconnected from our purpose. Sin has disconnected us from our purpose. And so even though the clay has been marred, when you look at this visual, the clay has been marred, And the potter doesn't discard the clay, doesn't throw it away, doesn't find some new clay to start with. What he does is he takes that clay and he begins to reshape it. He begins to repurpose it. Why? Because he has a vision, a plan for that clay, and he molds it into something that fulfills his plans and his purposes. So we cannot fulfill our purpose unless we are born again. Step one, new birth places us back into the potter's hand, back on the potter's wheel. And then he can begin to reshape and remold us into the masterpiece he's envisioned. You know, some of us, we started in this place where it didn't look too pretty when you got saved. It's like, man, that is definitely a clump of dirt. You know, that's just a big clump of dirt. But God's beginning to shape you and mold you into something wonderful. And he will continue to do so as long as we stay on that wheel and stay in his hands. So today I want to speak to you about serving. God created us to serve. God created us to serve. God has a creative plan for our, for our lives. He has a creative plan and purpose for us. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. And we all who with uh, unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Look at this, are being transformed into his image, into the image of Christ. We are being transformed into the image of Christ with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is our walk with God. We're continually molded, continually shaped by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is transforming us, and then he empowers us to live the life of Jesus. So how did Jesus live? And how does this connect with serving? Look at this, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So when you look at the life of Jesus, if we're being molded, if we're being shaped, if we're being transformed into the image of Christ, if we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the life of Christ, then we are being empowered, shaped, and molded to serve. Because Jesus did not come to be served. He came to serve. He is our example. Jesus said this in John six thirty-eight: For I have come down from heaven... Not to do my own will, but look at this, but the will of him who sent me. So he came to serve. He came to give. Before we got saved, we were out doing our own thing. We had our own plans. We had our own purposes. And thank God Jesus redeemed us from them. Amen? So our plans, we know this, they, don't, they didn't end well. They weren't going to end well. We may even have, may, may have had some fun doing them, thinking it's fun. But we understand now from this perspective, at the end of those plans... It wasn't going to be good. So Jesus redeemed us. He saved us. So in Christ, we've received new life in order to serve the plans and purposes of God. If we believe that God is the powder and that we are his clay, he is shaping us into a vessel that can accomplish his plans and purposes. Shouldn't serving be a key aspect? Shouldn't serving be something that that we take seriously in our own lives? 2 Timothy 2.21 says this, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, He will be a vessel of honor. Just focus on that phrase for just a moment. A vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. A vessel of honor, sanctified or set apart. When you get saved, you are sanctified. You are set apart. So set apart from this world, set apart for sin. Why? Because God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. He has to separate you from sin, from this world, from your own plans in order to fulfill those plans. So you are sanctified, set apart for something useful, for a plan and purpose. Useful for who? The master. Useful for the master. That word vessel, if you look it up in the original language, simply means this. Household utensils utensils or domestic gear. Household utensils or domestic gear. You're just a bunch of pots and pans and pitchers. God sanctified you as a vessel of honor, a serving vessel. When you think of domestic gear, when you think of household utensils, something to serve with, something in the master's hands to serve with. Remember, Jesus appeared as a servant. Amen? A servant. So the Bible is full of stories and images. If you think about how many times earthen vessels or or pots or pans or just uh, vases or any type of uh, vessel— you find these images throughout the Word of God, just splattered throughout the Word of God. And as I was thinking of earthen vessels, I, I thought about uh, archaeological finds. I love history. I love watching, uh, especially when they, they find, uh, whether it's in Egypt or, or anywhere, an ancient civilization, a culture that has been destroyed and all the debris and everything has covered it up. Uh, things have grown over it. And they begin to, to excavate that site. to begin to uncover Uh, all the the, the fascinating finds, usually the first thing they find is pottery. Almost every ancient civilization, they find pottery. They can almost identify with the pottery what the civilization is and what period it came from, just simply looking at it. Even if you have just a broken piece of pottery, just a little piece, they can identify it immediately to a culture and to a time. It's really just fascinating. So, uh, this this uh, pottery that was useful had a common purpose. A com- it was just pots and pans or a or, or vase or maybe, a, again, a pitcher that was used to pour water. Something common, earthen vessel, household goods, utensils, domestic gear. And the archaeologists, archeolog- uh, they find mostly again, mostly sh- shards of pottery, pottery, but sometimes they discover an intact vessel. And that's a real, that's a real find. It's a treasure when they find an intact Pitcher or vessel of clay because that clay is so, so brittle. It's so, you know, it, it's so susceptible to, to destruction and when they find that clay vessel, I mean they handle it with extra care And usually they examine it and they, they observe it and they can identify it and it ends up in a museum You go to a museum and you find these, these wonderful potteries that have been used by ancient cultures And it, there it is on display. Someone's dirty dishes are now on display I mean, the, the people use those, probably thinking, I got to wash the dishes again. No one else washes the dishes but me. And then boom, calamity came, and the dishes were just covered, covered for a thousand years. And now we put them in a museum, and we're like, man, what what a wonderful pottery. And, and anyone who was responsible for doing dishes should say, why don't you come to my house and do my dishes then, if you think they're so wonderful. Because that's what they were. They were just... you. A utilitarian use. And now we're like, oh, look, at that's just so incredible. It's just a clay pot. It's just something utilitarian, a utensil. And now we observe it and we admire it. It's really ironic, isn't it? It's ironic, again, that someone that used this pan or this pot or this clay vessel for something so, so simple is now on display in a museum. See, God created us as earthen vessels. But we aren't supposed to sit in a museum. That's not the purpose of this vessel. God did not redeem us, reshape our lives for the purpose of just sitting around. God created these earthen vessels to fulfill his plans and his purposes. He is the potter, we are the clay. Again, go back to our key verse, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. And look at this, focus on the last part of this. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Created a new, new birth, a new pot, a new pan, a new pitcher with a new purpose. In the hands of the master, serving out his plans, his purposes. But again, sin marred us. Sin disconnect us from our purpose. Sin has caused this earthen vessel to be lost in the debris of time and destruction in the fallen world. But Jesus finds us. He, he's like the archaeologist. He finds us the, in that debris. He he moves it apart, and he pulls this out, and he goes, you know I have a plan and a purpose for this pot, for this pan, for this piece of pottery. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says this, You were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Each and every one of us, if you are born again, were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which is God's. Which is God's. All that you have belongs to him, if you're redeemed. You were bought with a price. If the blood of Jesus purchased you, you belong to him. If you're born again, you've been been purchased with the blood of Christ. Jesus gave his life in order to redeem your life, to redeem you so that you can live the life that God planned for you to live. He redeemed you, and now you belong to him. Your life is in his hands. So let's say, to illustrate this, let's say that you buy something on a Facebook Marketplace. Anybody ever done that before? So you buy something on Marketplace, you meet the owner, you pay them the price for the item you're buying, the, the owner gives you the item that you're buying, and you become the new owner. It's yours. So if the owner decides this, you know what, I, I've got, I think I want that back. I really miss that. So I'm just going to go to that person's house, and I'm going to take it. And they take back what you bought from them. You're the owner, but they bring it back. They, I've decided I just want it. But they don't give you the money. What do we call that? Stealing. All right, good. All right, we're on the same page. We steal from God all the time. We steal a redeemed life. See, we're redeemed not to live our life. We're redeemed to live the life that he has planned and purposed for us. We all want to, to live a, a life, but the life we're to live is the life that Jesus gave us to live. He redeemed us to live. You know, in the 1960s, the animals had a hit song called It's My Life, right? If you're familiar with the course, It's My Life, and I'll do what I want. That might be true if you're not redeemed, right? That, that tr- you can maybe sing that song and believe that song and say that song, but if you have been bought by the blood of Jesus, if you have been redeemed, that song is no longer your song. Jesus owns you. It's his life. It belongs to him. So if you've been purchased by Jesus, your life has been redeemed. He's, he's, he's the new owner. So what I want you all to do is honestly just consider this question. Does the life you live, does the life that you live now, Does it reflect the plans and the purposes of its owner? say, well, I'm the owner. Then you're, you're not redeemed. You can't have it both ways. Either you belong to Jesus or you belong to you. Now, if you belong to you, you know where that's going to end. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. But with Jesus, it's life and life abundantly. Which one do you want? You can't have both. You have to either live your life the way you want, and you're going to end up in a bad place or you can live a redeemed life and he can save you. He can sanctify you and he can equip you and he can anoint you. He can use you for a greater purpose than you'd ever imagine. So does the life you live reflect the plans and purposes of its owner? So if you've ever been the victim of theft, most likely you did this. You called the police and made a police report. So let's say they catch the criminal, and they have your stuff and the thief is arrested. We steal from God all the time. We steal life from him. We steal purpose from him. And we're not arrested and thrown in jail. See, I think that's what kind of lulls us into this false sense of acceptance. And what I mean by that is this. We believe that since we're living a life kind of like how we want, and partially like how God wants, that, that we're, we're essentially taking the life that belongs to Jesus. We're living it how we want and desire. He doesn't come and lock us in jail, so he must be okay with it. It lulls us into this a sense of acceptance that God's okay with this. But he's not. Jesus isn't okay with that. Make no mistake, if you have been redeemed, you belong to Jesus and you will be held accountable for the life that you live. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. To who? To Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done good or bad We're all going to be held accountable. Why? Because we've been redeemed We're god's property. We belong to him. How have we stewarded our lives? We talk about stewarding money We talk about stewarding a lot of things. How are you stewarding the life that god gave you? See god's got a plan and a purpose for you How are you living your life in accordance to that plan and that purpose? Jesus will hold us accountable. Jesus paid an incredible price. He gave his life, his blood. He redeemed you. He purchased you. A life for a life. You'll be held accountable. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure. What? In earthen vessels. This is nothing but a bunch of dirt that has come to life. Earthen vessels. That the excellence of the power may may be of God and not of us. God redeemed us. He put his spirit in us for a purpose. He has a redeeming purpose for our lives. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live the life of Jesus. God does not empower us to live the life of any other person except Jesus. We are going to be recreated, remolded, reshaped into the image of Christ. Not the image of a person that we esteem. We're being redeemed and shaped and molded into the image of Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's the power of the Spirit who empowers us to live the life of Jesus. So this is what the Spirit of God is doing, empowering us to serve out God's plan and God's purpose Again going back to our key verse for we are God's Masterpiece he created us anew in Christ so that we could do the things that he planned for us long ago We've been redeemed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the things preordained for us And by the way just because you get saved doesn't mean you've accomplished all that God's got for you That just opens the door you can begin to discern and start to fulfill God's plan for your life after you've been born again. New birth doesn't complete it. It's like, well, I'm saving, I'm going to heaven, that's it. No, no, your life has just begun. New life has just begun. Walk in newness of life. Don't waste the time, the opportunity God's given you. Some of you served the devil for long enough, served yourself, served this world. God's given you a second opportunity, something that will establish in eternity forever. Treasure, value, just something worth that you'll have that is incredible endure the test of time man make the most of the opportunity god has given you amen before there was a you god had a purpose and you are created to fulfill that purpose before there was ever a you there was a purpose and god created you to that fulfill that purpose god has a specific plan for your life i wish i could just lay hands on you all pray and say thus saith the lord This is what you're supposed to do, but I can't But God has a specific plan for you And he will reveal that plan to you if you pursue him Specific, I don't know the details But I can tell you this, he has a general purpose For us as a body, as a church He has a general purpose for a church And he has a general purpose for every believer Because the believers consist of the church, amen So God has a general plan and a purpose for our lives because he has a general plan and purpose for every believer. In fact, he has some common purposes for every believer. Universal, throughout time. So there's two scriptures that reflect these purposes. Two scriptures. The first one is the great commandment. This is a purpose for all believers, not just some. All believers, universally. Matthew 28:19. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. Go. Sometimes we just concentrate on make disciples, but very clearly, go and make disciples. You see evangelism, and you see discipleship. Again, you won't have evan- you won't have disciples unless you have evangelism, and you won't have evangelism unless you have disciples. So the church exists to make disciples. Well, pastor, I believe the church exists to worship. Okay, again, worshipers don't necessarily become disciples, but disciples can become worshipers. Therefore, you must have disciples first. We're all worshiping something or someone. We are created to worship. Sometimes we'll worship God. Sometimes we'll worship the created things. So worship is not the priority, but it is a priority. The first priority is, are you redeemed? Are you born again so that you can be discipled to be a worshiper? Are you following me? Our purpose, this church, every church, is called to make disciples. If we're not making disciples, we're missing our priority. We're missing our purpose. So what are you doing to make disciples? Well, I thought that's your job. No, that's our job. What are you doing to make disciples? What are you, where are you going and making disciples? I know we have this culture, this church culture, years of it, and this is the way it's always been done. But you know what? Frankly, it's been wrong. Frankly, our traditions have been wrong. The Bible is, is very clear. Go make disciples. Pastor, that's your job. No, that's our job, the body of Christ. Go make disciples. Are you making disciples? The second universal purpose of every Christian, and this is the one I'm going to focus on the most, because if we got this one, the the first one I just mentioned is easy. Go and make disciples really will hinge on this one. It's the great commandment. What is the great commandment? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets now when we look at Jesus he's the Word made flesh Jesus if you can boil down the entirety of the Word of God and you are the Word of God you are the living Word of God you are the Word made flesh So if you could boil it all down to what it comes down to, what is the the Christian life all about, here it is. Love God, love people. See, it's almost too simple, but it is just that simple. We complicate Christianity. It is a very simple religion. It is a very simple relationship. You love God, you love people. Jesus saves you, redeems you, changes you, empowers you to fulfill that purpose. Love God, love people. The great commandment and the great commission is not the great selection or the great decision. It's it's not like this. Well, I think I'll choose to love God, but I'm going to pass on loving people. It doesn't work that way. You don't get the choice. You've been redeemed. Your life belongs to Jesus. He empowers you. He saves you to live this life. Love God. Love people. Yeah, but loving God is easy, but loving people is harder. It's supposed to be hard. You know why? Because they're marred by sin. If that's our line of thinking, I don't think we understand redemption. So if our attitude towards our purpose, cause, if, it's, if it's like, well, I just don't know if that's really my calling. Again, you belong to Jesus. Your calling is his plan, his purpose. And when I see people like, I just don't, I don't know if that's my purpose, it causes me to be, I'm being honest, to doubt the legitimacy of their experience. It is his plan to love him and to love people. Jesus redeemed us. Our lives belong to him. Look at these words. You shall. You might, no. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know about you. I'm not an English major or anything like that, but shall is pretty strong. There's no nuance in there. You shall. Uh, Your children, you shall clean your room. You shall do this. You You know the shalls. Thou shalt do this, or thou shalt die. It means you'll do it. But it's not a burden. We get to do it. That's the thing. You get to love God, and you get to love people. We can go to church weekly. We can tithe faithfully. But know this. If we fail to love God, we fail God's redemptive purpose. If we fail to love people... We fail God's redemptive purpose. Pastor, I have a personal relation with Jesus, and that's what Christianity is all about. Yes, it is, and no, it's not. If you've been forgiven, it expected you to forgive in the same measure. That tells me that it's more about you and God. Uh, You shall love the Lord your God, right, with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you shall love, shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Christianity is about loving God and loving people, not just loving God. That way of saying, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, which is true, but if you leave out the second part, violates it entirely. If we fail to love people, we we, we will fail to make disciples. Our purpose will fail our mission. We fail our purpose then. Jesus was asked this question by a teacher of the law. Again, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. And the teacher of the law thinks about this for a moment. He thinks about what Jesus is saying. You can almost see it just computing through his mind. Now, loving God with all my heart, soul, I can do that. I get that. I understand that. But loving my neighbor, essentially the same, because the two are the same. Ah, I I get that, but who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Who do I need to love as myself? My wife, my kids, my grandkids, my friends? Who are my neighbors? Jesus shares this story and shows this man who his neighbor is, who our neighbor is. Let's go to verse 30 in Luke chapter 10. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest or pastor came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, or a church folk, when he arrived at that place, he came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan was, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, he departed. He cut, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, "Take care of him, and whether you spend, and whatever you uh, more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you." So which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among thieves? He's asking this question to this this teacher of the law. And he said, he who showed mercy on him. He knows the answer. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. What does this have to do with serving? Jesus redeems us and empowers us to serve a purpose. And that purpose is to love God and to love people. If we don't love God and love people, we won't go to lost people and we won't disciple them. And the entire system collapses. Jesus selected the most hostile neighbor known to a Jew, a Samaritan. We don't have all the time to get into the, the history these two groups have with each other. But they're regional neighbors and they're hostile to each other. They hate each other. Now, Jesus could have picked any other relationship, any other people group. Why does he pick the Samaritan? Why did he pick the group of people that he knew this teacher of the law would have the most animosity towards? I want you to picture in your mind the person you would have the most animosity towards. Because that is the person. That is the person. You don't have a choice because you've been redeemed for this purpose. What we do is put a bunch of religious cockamamie over this and deny this truth. And I don't know why it is. Do we have people that burn us and make us angry? Sure. But we're still called to love them and love them in a certain way, God's way. Why does he share this story? Because that's what he's doing, how God loves people. There is no partiality with God. God loves all people. Now, it doesn't mean that he accepts their sin, but he loves all people as god's people belong to jesus who gave his life as a ransom we should show no partiality i'm going to say that again we should show no partiality we can be faithful about going to church we can be worship. i mean we can be pentecostal rolling the aisles, aisles, swinging, swinging from the chandeliers which we don't have but if we don't love people we're not making disciples we have religion spirit it has a spirit package but there is no spirit on the inside because if there was we would love people this is the purpose we have been redeemed for to love god to love people to go and make disciples that is the that is christianity in a nutshell you get saved good praise god you've been given life to live a new life what does that new life look like love god love people go and make disciples Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will she- separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, and he will set the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those who, uh, on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Sounds like a plan and a purpose, does it not? It sounds like someone has a redemptive purpose. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will say to him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did to one of the least of these of my brethren, you did it to me. Now, if you feed someone, if you clothe someone, if you shelter someone, thank God you are showing the compassion of God. You are showing the compassion of Christ. But... If you don't share Jesus with them, you are sending them to hell with a full belly, with clothes on their back, and with a roof over their head. That's all we're doing. Now, what is the greater need? Yes, we should be compassionate. Yes, the compassion of taking care of normal, everyday life, food, water, shelter, providing that, that gives you the opportunity to share the real need. The real need is Jesus. See, I think sometimes we're like, man, yeah, but we just got to take care of those necessities, right? Yes, you do. The necessity is eternal life. That's the necessity. I think sometimes we do this as churches, and I I mean this with all due sincerity. Sometimes churches will do this. Sometimes Christians, they'll show compassion, but they have no follow-up with sharing Jesus. I think sometimes we do that to make ourselves feel better. When was the last time you ministered to someone in the name of Jesus? When is the last time you were moved with compassion? You didn't care what someone thought, what, someone, what impression they may have. You saw a masterpiece marred by sin, a, a, a something God created that could have something glorious, something incredible, and your heart was moved to compassion to do this. I need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I need to be the mouthpiece of Christ. I need to share with this person who is going to be destroyed. When's the last time? When's the last time you loved your neighbor as yourself? Not everyone is called to a full-time ministry capacity like me. I understand that. It's not for everyone. But every born-again believer is called to ministry. Every born-again believer is called to ministry. We are called to minister to God. A minister is a servant. If you want to break down the really basic form of the word minister, it's a servant. Ephesians 4 says this. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? Why does he do this? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. There's my purpose. If I were an evangelist, this, think about this. How do we handle an evangelist in a church? Well, we, he preaches. We bring people who are lost so they can get saved. But that's wrong. The, the full function of the evangelist is to train you and equip you to win lost people. To do the work of the ministry. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with preaching the gospel and people coming and get saved. No, I'm not saying that. But if that's all it is, it is wrong. Because an evangelist is called to help the body of Christ, the saints, to be evangelists. The church doesn't pay me to do the work of the ministry. My job is to help you, equip you, encourage you to do the work of the ministry. But what we tend to do is we pay the pastor to do the work of the ministry. You know, if the pastor is the ministry, when the pastor leaves, dies, or fails, the ministry fails, and that shouldn't be the case. See, here's the fact of the matter. When it comes to people, loving people, winning the loss, going and making disciples, that's not my job. My job is to help you to do that. My calling, that's my purpose. Your job is to share Jesus. You know, you will see people all through the week that I'll never get to see, you'll have encounters with people that I will never be able to encounter. There's lost people in every situation that you're in. You you go to school, you go to sports fields, you go to games. There's a wonderful opportunity to share Christ with that person. You could build a relationship with people. You don't have to win them over in a day. There should be some urgency, but you don't have to win them over in a day. But you will reach people that I can never reach. If I can help you, if I can equip you, if I can encourage you, that's what I'm supposed to do. See, this church, Holt Assembly of God, is called to do this. Make disciples. Worship. Pray. Teach the Bible. Teach God's Word. Evangelize. And minister to people. You know why? Because that's the purpose all churches share. Common to all. Now, how we fulfill that purpose will vary. For example, the First Baptist Church here in our community... They have a food pantry. They do a wonderful job. Why on earth would we want to recreate what they are doing reaching the people they are trying to reach? Why would we want to do what any other church in our community is doing to gain the same people they're trying to get? Why? There's plenty of lost people in our community. Well, I think we should partner with other churches, we have to understand this. God's placed us geographically at 540 Third Avenue for a purpose to reach people, not to reach other churches. There's nothing wrong with that. Please hear my heart. But if we do that, I'm telling you what happens, we just get back into this thing of just doing church. And we're not called to do church. We're called to reach lost people, to go and make disciples. God's brought you here for a purpose. And that purpose is to partner with this church, to fulfill God's calling and purpose for this church. You are here to worship. You are here to fellowship. You are here to be disciple, to disciple, to evangelize, to serve, to give your time, your talent, your treasure. You've come to give. Christians have been redeemed to do these things. I've mentioned all of us, every one of us. But I thought I was redeemed to go to heaven. God's got a plan and a purpose for you here to fulfill. God has a redeeming purpose. You are the clay. He is the potter. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.